Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. Today, I am extremely excited to have one of our amazing instructors, Diane Pearson, on with us today. Welcome, Diane. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Oh, always. Now, for those of us, uh, or for those listeners who have not had the pleasure of attending one of your classes, can you give us just a little bit about your background and how you got into product? You know, I got into product before people actually knew what product management or product marketing was going to be. And, and so that was really exciting because I got to help define it at the organization I was with. And then as I went through my career, I did that as well. So uh, my background is in both product management and product marketing. So I was an individual contributor up to a functional unit head in both of those. And, and I've worked in B2B and B2C, mostly software, data and analytics, uh, decision support uh, tools uh, for, for a wide variety of industries, everything from, from lawyers and law firms to publishers to uh, identifying characteristics of business fraud. So I had a lot of fun in my career, worked in a lot of great places and, and spent a lot of time you know, in and out of the country working with wonderful people, as well as also from time to time leading sales and, and customer service and, and a couple of general management roles. So the capstone of this, of course, has been being an instructor at Pragmatic. And so this was a destination job, I think, for all of us. But I, I always just feel so excited and proud to be doing this job to share my experience, but to hear what's going on out there now. So it's, it's just so much fun and, and so great to be here with you. So thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So in your career, you do you have a, you have a great different uh, diverse experience. You've been on the product marketing and the product management side, and you've seen a lot of evolution, right, of the, of, of the profession. Um, and I think, and, and the companies and the type of companies in the tech space. But what I think is really interesting is we've had this really compressed sort of evolution in the last 15 months, right? In a way that I don't think any of us predicted. And so I, I would love just to hear from you kind of what you've seen and in terms of the industry evolving over the last 15 months and maybe what, what some of that stuff will stick and, and what we'll be excited to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Oh man, and you know, I was in the business world when 9-11 happened. I was actually uh, very, very close to the site. Uh, we had uh, people working for me in, in my organization who lived in Manhattan, who couldn't get home. We were in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I will never forget that. And my husband, Tom, and I talked about this when it happened. And we said, you know, this is that, that moment in our lives that's going to be that thing we talk about forever. It's going to be that, that change, just like you know, my, my parents with the, the assassination of John F. Kennedy yep. and, and Tom's, Tom's mother with Pearl Harbor. You know, you, you have these events in your life that are lifetime events. I never thought I'd have another one. And, and the amazing thing about this one is it is the singular event. Unlike anything that's happened before, the biggest tragedies, the, the, the biggest wars, this has been so singular in our world, in our point of reference, that it's there's nothing else like it. Mm. You think about the scale, the severity, the timing, the level of reaction by everybody. The entire industrialized world was impacted by this. We haven't seen that. I hope we never see it again. <laughs> no. 
But you know, you think about that. This is this is like nothing any of us have ever seen, and and even into our our reasonably distant past, this just has not. There's never been an impact like this. So when you think about that, and I think about what happened and and what was what was surprising or what was expected by this, and I think about it, it's it's not surprising that this caught everybody off guard, and and from a product marketing perspective. You know, it's hard almost to even shift gears and talk about that because you think, boy, we're going to take the pandemic and talk about product marketing. <laughs> is, is that a little bit, you know, is, is that insensitive? And I think I wish I wish we didn't have this as a teaching moment for all the other things we do in our lives. But the fact is, there is a lot to be learned from this. There's a lot that we can understand. Like you said, what's going on out there right now? What do we want to change? What, what do we not want to change? Nobody is surprised that we were surprised by this because it, it is just so singular. I, one of the things I, I read, I've been reading a lot about this too, just in, in talking to some of my friends in, in, in the industry and consulting. There was a survey, MarTech did a survey, uh, and, and they asked marketers, they said, on a scale of one to seven, how prepared was marketing to face the pandemic and the economic impact? And, and the people that they surveyed, it was B2B and C, B2C. But they gave themselves a 3.8. Now that's what that's what we gave ourselves. 43% of the people who answered that survey gave themselves between a one and a three. Mm. And you know, honestly, I, I actually think that is about where I would have put the world. Really, how how could you possibly prepare for this? So while that's probably not a surprise, I do think that that one of the bright spots and, and what's really interesting is. That, that the tech sector, so software, hardware, technical services, uh, decision support, all, all these types of services in, in, in that tech sector, we actually were a bright spot. So the things that I've been reading have consistently said that the industry that performed well from a marketing perspective, not just because, yeah, let's face it, a lot of people were using technology. In some cases, that actually made it more challenging, but the way that we responded from a, a classic, let's figure out what's going on in the market perspective, I've seen marketing cited in, in tech firms more often and specifically contrasted to consumer businesses that are traditionally better at this. You know, personally, I kind of hope we had something to do with that. But one of the things that I'm, I'm seeing over and over again is here, here's a statistic that I, that I saw. 82% of tech companies, this was the same, actually, this was the same MarTech survey, 82% of tech companies conducted rapid research with customers and 71% performed uh, deeper website analytics. It was higher than any other market sector, B2B, B2C, higher than any. And I think, you know, that really says something about our, our world. This is also a surprise. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've heard consistently is we actually grew in importance in the organization. You know how this goes. You've, you've been in product marketing for a long time. I did a lot of product marketing. During most crises, the marketing team is the first to go. The budget is the first to get cut because it is usually one of the ones that, that you have some discretion over without laying people off or furloughing people. Except for industries and, and, and different areas of, of the country and the sectors that like the whole industry just shut down. I mean, there, there was no longer need for the services. If, if there was still need or if you grew a lot, either way, even if it was just status quo, marketing didn't get cut and budgets actually got 
ad hoc additions because what they realized was all of a sudden, all of this buying activity was happening online. That's another surprise in the B2B world specifically that this didn't take that long. I mean, in B2C, you, you mm-hmm. almost expected it. We all bought things online anyway. I, but it got to the point, seriously, at one point I put in an order with, with the, the place I buy a lot of stuff. I, I ordered Band-Aids, red pens, and mustard. <laughs> Classic combination. <laughs> you know, no, it was, and, they, and I didn't use them together just in case anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they were for separate things. But, you know, we were used to that. And, and that, that transition, again, seems kind of unsurprising. But the amount of, of software, hardware, the, the level of buys that have begun to happen, much, much more of that transaction, that discussion, it, it wasn't even just that it was happening on Zoom or, or through e-meetings. It was happening online. Also, all of the discussions that lead up to that, the traditional discussion with sales teams, I, a lot of that was just not set up for what the, the need was now, the, the cadence of, of e-marketing it had to be changed because it was a whole different world. But there were, you know, there were a lot of surprises that happened. And some of the things are more surprising than others, but I, I really do think that this is pretty big. Uh, online sales have grown, again, B2B, B2C, by over 40%. And that happened in three months. Wow. So... Is it going to change back? It's certainly that we're going to see some more evolution, but but think about it in just the three months how that changed. It was it was big, and this was so this was a very very big thing. And you know, we've talked a, a lot. I mean, I, I think as as marketers and salespeople, we've we've talked and and product people even we've talked about the expectations from everyone's B two C experience moving over to B and B. Like they're going to expect that kind of user interface. They're going to expect those kind of transparency. They're going to expect those things. We like. And it had been evolving there, but the speed then at which this took is totally different, right? Like to your point, it, it was an it was a, a massive escalation of an evolution in in progress, uh, and and you just couldn't you couldn't wait anymore. Like it had to take place, and I think part of it is because all the infrastructure changed in organizations, they couldn't not make purchases. There weren't things like, well, I'll wait and see. Like, no, it's like, well, we're we're flipping our infrastructure and I need to support it with these things and I have to be able to purchase it. And the other thing that I really like that you talked about too is is the is the rapid research, right? Obviously, it's a big passion point of ours, like listening to the market. But I wondered, you know, if that's one of the reasons you did see product marketing and marketing uh, sort of influence expand is it is uh, a heavy data and research oriented function. Right when it's in in companies today, and to have that muscle and know that you know this isn't a long term project. It's like I need to get quick feedback and I need to see real time data because we're going to need to pivot on that. And just having some of both the tools and the muscles in place, I bet was was uh, was was very helpful in that. Oh yeah, I, I really do think that you know this was it did happen so fast. We used to look at. I mean, think about the good old days when you looked at. You know, analyst trends over three oh. years. Oh, I remember that. Like three year I mean, timelines. Oh, boy, that's just laughable right now. Nobody's thinking in those terms right now because you can't and, and you shouldn't. But yeah, it, it really did illustrate how important the the interlocking elements of, of product management or product management, product marketing, data science, all these these classic elements that we've kind of blended together. It was like, wow, you know. This is what you're really seeing now is, is if those things are coming together 
and responding, it's it's pretty cool. Oh, and I mean, I've hit on just a, a personal pain point that we've had, right? All your baseline data is, is gone, right? All, all, everything that you would measure your success on, like how should a campaign perform? What kind of return should you expect? What kind of seasonality do you see? If any, you're like, oh, I got, I don't, I don't know. It's as if your company started March 12th, uh, yes. right? And even within those, you can see sort of trend lines. And that's a, that's again, a, a place that, um, while it was a singular event, like you talked about, I, I think what we have to be really careful of uh, as a profession and as organizations is we can't score ourselves a one or a two or a three next time, right? It, it won't look like COVID, but there'll be something else even within this particular pandemic. And so you have to build that sort of uh, ability to, to be agile and pivot and watch for things. Like it has to be ingrained. Uh, because something else will happen. At this point, I think we all go like, the only thing I know is I don't know what's going to happen next. So I should just be able to pivot. And and for a while, to, the, the point that you make is really good. I mean, it's, it's almost like every business began again in the middle of March, 2020. It, it was like everything started over. And you, you can't look back, but those, those scores that we gave ourselves, it is kind of one thing, but you know, the point you made there that, that I think is going to be a lesson learned from this, we can talk about that a little bit later, is the fact that stuff happens and it's not going to be COVID next time, just like it's never been COVID before. But everything from hurricanes on the Gulf Coast of Texas to a lumber shortage in Minnesota, I mean, depending on what your world looks like, there are going to be different instant tragedies, different instant things you have to react to, but there's also going to be the gradual shifts, the things that you've got to listen to and be good at hearing, even though they don't happen in, in the nightly news or online. And, and, you know, they're not the subject of every podcast. Those are the things that you put, put these listening processes in place for, as well as having some sort of, I kind of, I call it sort of this emergency ladder almost. You, mm. you cannot plan for COVID. We're not going to sit down and say, okay, when the next COVID happens or what if it's not COVID? What if it is, you know, frogs raining from the sky? You, you just can't sit down and think about that kind of thing. But you can think about how do we put structures in place to, to listen to this stuff? How, how can we listen for risk? How can we listen for shifts and change? And how do we escalate that in our system? And, and if it is something rapid, do we have some team in place that acts for the company because they are aligned and empowered to do so? One of the articles I read, and I talk about it all the time in class now, I love this article. It was, it was not written as a, a roadmap for product management and product marketing. But I live here in Austin, Texas, as you know, and our very big grocery store is HEB. Well, HEB reacted quite well. They had some stumbles and missteps like everybody, but, but they really reacted quite well to COVID. And, and so Texas Monthly Magazine wrote an article about them. And it was in the June 2020 issue of, of Texas Monthly. And people can look this up. It's not, it's not behind a firewall. When you read it, what they're really talking about is, is they're talking about from the perspective of our, of our grocery store. You know, what, what about HEB? How did they do this? But if you read the way they went through and reacted to COVID, because they react to you know, hurricanes and things like that all the time, it's a roadmap for how to put in place a, this ladder, this ability to react. 
they were already asking questions about COVID in January. They were already putting plans in place in January. They started communicating to customers. It was amazing what they did. And so it's, it's a really cool article to read about. It's, it's like a roadmap of how to, how to be prepared for the, the surprises. And I like it in what you're describing there is sort of a ladder and a roadmap, because I remember like in the old days, you would have uh, like a safety committee or uh, like an emergency response committee uh, mm-hmm. in an organization. And they would they would like make these we're totally dating ourselves here, but like they'd create these like really long documents that nobody dusted off. But it was like in a hurricane, do a Y, you know, and that's that's not what HEP has. What they have is a uh, both a culture and a sort of acknowledge structure in place that allows them to respond and pivot. It's not that they have the answers and it's like a checklist, like, oh, in case of B, do the, uh, no, right, exactly. right? But you've built in mechanisms. And I think another point that you made there that's smart is the is sort of that rapid response team, that group of people who can make decisions now because that's what we're talking about. And, and that, that is, that is small, time small or hard when you're a small organization, if it's really command and control, but you need to be able to have people that are empowered to make decisions that go through. And some of those won't be the right ones. Right. Uh, but you know, it's, 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 there's a, a paralysis issue here. If you don't have that, when you're something respond, when something like this happens and you need to respond quickly. And, and, you know, that really is, the frameworks that we were using are as outdated as our assumptions of our markets before. You get into a situation like that, you can't build consensus. You should have invested at the, before that in building alignment so that this team can act for the organization. And, and yeah, just like anything, it won't be perfect. But if you've invested in that alignment and that understanding of, of the market before, actually, in, in a lot of ways, we just talked about you kind of have to throw out a lot of the market research. But that ongoing understanding of the market does help you pull forward ways to interact with them when it gets to be this crazy, crazy time. Because the people who, who actually knew their customers before reacted better, made far fewer missteps, mm-hmm. and, and are coming out of this stronger than the people who didn't really know their customers very well. You know, that's really been the, the difference between successful product marketing teams and, and unsuccessful product marketing teams is if you really understood your market, you knew what they were worried about. It wasn't perfect, but you you knew how to start a dialogue with them. I, I remember this um, early, early on when we all pivoted to doing online training. You know, we were the, the instructors were on the road all the time. We, mm-hmm. That's what we did. That was our job. And so we also had super deluxe frequent flyer mile status on a couple airlines. You know, we picked a couple and we stuck with them. Basically, they let us fly the plane. We felt like that's a joke. We would never, ever <laughs> you know, so so you think about that, that power flyer, if you will, the people who are on airplanes every week. Now, I had status on two airlines and gosh, probably two weeks after after we said, you know, we're, we're done on the road for a while. We, we've got to shift. I got emails like one day after another airline A, airline B. Now, airline A is widely regarded as, as an airline that listens to its market. I mean, you hear about this all the time. They have a reputation for that. And the, and the other airline, frankly, doesn't. Uh, but I fly both of them. There's, you know, again, they're, they're successful, profitable companies. Airline A sent me an email that said, hey, look, we know, we know you're not going to be flying a lot for a while. And we're here with you. We want to let you know, though, 
that that frequent flyer status that you have spent years building up that is a you know something that you see as a as a perk to your job isn't going to go away you're going to have the same status in 2021 that you had in 2020 and when you are ready to come back we are here for you airline b 24 <laughs> hours later sends me an email and the title of this email is great prices to fly to Orlando. <laughs> and I just looked at this and I thought, okay, know your market, don't know your market. And, and that, that was an investment in time. I mean, they didn't mm-hmm. just decide to do that. One was not listening to the market. One did not know who I was. The other one clearly did. Now, I wasn't sitting around worrying in, in this venal pathetic sort of way about my frequent flyer miles, but my relationship to that airline was defined in that way. And so, yeah, I'm much more worried about my friends and family members and and safety, but my airline relationship was was largely defined by that. And they knew that. Mm -hmm. Boy, the other one didn't. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, and you talk about this when you teach, when you teach the classes, right? There's, There's two alignments that matter. It's your market and it's your corporate strategy. Because yeah. airline A not only knew their market, but they recognized the importance of the, the, the big travelers long-term to their strategy. And that the biggest thing wasn't to get dollars out of you tomorrow, but was to make sure at the end of this, whatever that looked like, and, and certainly no one thought it was this long, uh, you would be still their customer and that you would be like, this is the relationship I have in the airline. Just the fact that you talked about that as a relationship and not like a vendor or this one thing, right, is very indicative of that. But I think that dual alignment, and to your point, that dual that alignment took place months and years leading up to this. And, and I think that's one of the ways for the next event, that's what you got to do. You've got to stay aligned on both those two items so that you can make the, the decisions in the moment based on the factors that are there. Absolutely. Well, and also all of this some um, rapid research that people want to do, it's, it's one thing to mine your data because you do have control of that. And, and the better assets you have inside, the better off you're going to be. But to try to contact somebody during those first weeks of COVID, if you don't have a relationship with that market, they're not going to talk to you. Yeah, It's going to be hard enough if you do. And so, so these investments with your market, this understanding your buyers, just like the product management team understands their users, you, you've got to understand what worries them about their relationship with you. And, and I just thought, it was just amazing that that happened. Literally, I, it was like the end of March. It was the fourth week of March. I just couldn't believe it. It was, wow, here you go. This is the difference. Yeah, right there in black and white. All right, so alignment is definitely one of those things uh, on the teams that that were successful in this transition and those who struggled. Other factors that you think were really key for uh, for the teams that were successful? Well, yeah, that, that investment in the past and then you, you heard about that, that clear, quick mobilization for the future. This is big. And, and the bigger it got, the more we realized we had to talk to the market. So these people who did the rapid response and, and the creative ways of doing this, I had a lot of students asking me during that time, how do I get their attention right now? I mean, I don't, I don't want to interrupt people who are in the middle of an emergency, but for those people who are working and, and, and thinking about these various business scenarios for these various market verticals. What do I ask them? How do I talk to them right now? And, and you know, I got a lot of good insights from, from students that, that said, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're just being where they are. 
you know, if they need volunteers in their neighborhoods, if they need transportation someplace, I mean, even now, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but here in Austin, we just we got a, a note that said that um, Uber and Lyft will take anybody to a vaccination site from now until July 1st for free. And, and people were doing some of these things, you know, driving nurses, sending meals. Now, when you think about that from a consumer perspective, that's one thing, but I interviewed at about that time, one of, one of our uh, clients who talked about how they reached out to the auto dealerships that they worked with. Now they work, so it's a B2B relationship. They work with auto dealerships. They, give, uh, they have software for inventory and advertising, things like that. Very well regarded company. And they had known for a while that, that really the auto industry that, that sells cars to us really ought to be competing more with some of the online used car options that there are, uh, you know, bring a trailer and, and Carvana, those sort of places. They leveraged this opportunity to help their dealers become more responsive. So they actually helped their customers become more responsive to their consumers. By bringing data to them, they offered them a way to keep selling cars. And, and that is huge value. I mean, whatever you're delivering to your markets, chances are there's a way to message that, that I can help you stay in business. I can help you help your markets. And that's a, that's a, sincere, a sincere message. I mean, and, and, you know, during that time, anything that was insincere or, or you know, hey, rates to Florida, it's just, anything that that tone deaf is really going to put people off because it's emotional. Yep. Anything that you do to help is going to be remembered. So, yeah, I, I really think that there were opportunities there for those people who said, how can I work with them to help them? How can I learn from them? Where are they right now? And, and so I don't want to interrupt them, but I want to learn. And, and, and I thought that company did that, that very That's nice. A, well, and it's alignment on their strategy again with them. But again, in a, in a very authentic way, I do think that perhaps in the B2B world, We've seen a very, we've talked again in the past, you talk about messaging to B2B and, and how there is a larger emotional component to it than people may think, because it's still people making decisions and not corporations. But I also wonder if this is another area where COVID accelerated the evolution, right? Because I think so. That's, yeah, I think you're on to something there, Rebecca. I really, that would be my prediction. I think that we have reached a new level of authentic communication and real interaction with our markets, really thinking about the questions we ask them. And, and, and if we get answers, acting on those answers. I also think that people have been a little bit more willing to give authentic answers to you, take a little bit more time. Yep. I don't have any data on that, but I, I think that that might be true. I think we're all having a lot more uh, authentic conversations in class. We always had good conversations in our classes, but I think people are really out there now. I mean, they're, they're laying some things out for other students to help other students, but they're also just talking about what do I do with this? How do I handle this? They're, they're bringing real immediate emotional responses and, and challenges to the, to the table, which is a little bit of a shift. I mean, we used to spend a lot of time talking about workflows and process and decisions and priorities, and those are still really important, but now they're talking about them in the context of of reaching out and helping and changing and improving. And it's just, a, it's a subtle shift, but I think it's a big yeah. one. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, you, know, you think about, you think about both, but it's such an emotional uh, component to the pandemic uh, 
because it was it was so unusual uh, and, and definitely really in the United States where we had been fortunate not to have some oh. of the the viral but like this was like mind blowing like this is not something we're used to thinking about but also I, there's part of it where the authentic maybe also is because so many people were home, right? There's a, a little barrier that goes up when you go in the office, you put on your fancy office clothes, uh, even if they're not super, but at least your nice jeans, right? Uh, to go to the office, you, you put on an armor and then you're there and it's different. And now all the, a lot of us are still having conversations in our house, right? And that's another reason where it, it starts to feel like it just doesn't resonate with me if you're, if you're treating me not as a person. Exactly. I mean, and well, and, and we're, we're meeting people's pets and children and spouses <laughs> in class now. And yes. we didn't really get that. Before. And they're meeting ours. You know, every <laughs> once in a while, a, a hand moves in when I'm on Zoom. And, and I thank Tom for bringing me my coffee. <laughs> you know, and, and so, yeah, you, you start to feel a little bit more free about that. And, and people do get to know each other. And interestingly, even though this is a a low touch environment and people are really hungry. I mean, we know Zoom fatigue is there. People want to get back in person, but yeah, when we all have to put on like a whole outfit again, <laughs> pants. these are going to be different. <laughs> Fancy pants. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know. I'm not sure where the rest of my shoes are because I've been wearing <laughs> for the past you know, year. So I even, I, I, we've all I, talked I, about that, you know, thinking about getting back out. Like, I better go try on my pants. I've heard more people saying that lately. Like, I gotta get out of the, I gotta get out of the sweats and the, the, um, you know, just the, 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 the stretch pants. And I gotta get back into my, my real clothes on the bottom. Right. I did a, uh, I did a, a pretty big uh, wardrobe upgrade, uh, particularly in the business attire last February. Uh, so that's, that's really served me well, Diane. Uh, <laughs> I guess to wear most of the outfits like once. Uh, and now, oh. now I don't even want to try them on. So. <laughs> you know, actually, uh, that was something we talked about this a couple of times that um, I thought, well, this would be great because now I only need half my wardrobe. But the problem was what you wore on the on the road was was not maybe perhaps as colorful or you need something just a little bit bright, not very brightly dressed. Too, but I've got a couple of red blouses now. But the thing is, they don't have to look good below like my collarbone. That's true. And so, yeah. So I've got three or four things that I bought for COVID that I will never wear in public. <laughs> I, you know, every once in a while you forget and you hop in the car and you go someplace, you think, oh man, I wore this out. In, <laughs> I've got blouses that Tom says, yeah, that looks great online, but it's, yeah, you know, yeah. You just, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how things are, things are going to change. They are. Well, besides wardrobes, what else do you think as our listeners are getting ready for the next challenge or, or even getting out of this challenge and, 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 and taking kind of advantage of what we have learned and putting into place? What are, what are some things that you expect to see change and how can they be ready? What lessons can they take with them? Well, and you know, it, it is happening now. I mean, half the U.S. Pop- population is fully vaccinated. Half the adult population fully vaccinated. So we are starting to make this happen and we're seeing it too. I mean, we were just talking about this before we started, Rebecca, about how we're, we're starting to talk about how are we going to get back out in, on the road and, and are we going to do, what are we going to do when we're in person again? I've been asking my classes over the past, let's call it like six weeks to two months. I've just been asking for a show of hands. Hey, how many of you plan to uh, have a presence at trade shows or begin your user groups 
within the next 12 months. And when I first started asking this just a couple months ago, uh, informally, like 10%. The last couple weeks, every class, 50% or more. And people are saying, yes, wow. I hope so. Let's go. There has been this really accelerated shift. So how fast is it going to happen? I think that's one of the things we're going to need to think about. But people know it's not going to be back to normal. It's going to be whatever this new normal is going to be. So yeah, what are, what are some of the things people should be thinking about right now? What are, what are some of the things I'm, I'm hearing and seeing? Zoom fatigue is real. Interestingly enough, I don't, and I can't remember the name, but there have been a couple of these telephonic only sites that are popping up. People actually don't, like, I don't want to see you anymore, <laughs> but I do want to talk <laughs> to you. Like, I don't want to text. I don't want to send an email. I don't want to Slack. I, and, and those are all good communication methods, but people want to talk. So yeah, I think people are going to get out in, and want to see people. So I don't think even with this, this huge surge for marketers in, in a lot of the buying happening online, a lot more of this being in our hands. Uh, you know, it, it, a lot of it's been in our hands for a long time. We're not getting rid of salespeople. Salespeople are not going away. People want to talk to other people. And, and yes, we've got great chatbots. We've got a lot of great online tools. People want to talk to people. I don't I don't believe that's going away. I think we're going to see that come back. That being said, is it, is it going to be less time? And maybe are those people going to be more about relationship management, more about uh, subject matter expertise? I think that my personal belief based on what I'm reading and seeing, I think that might be true. I think the nature of the salesperson is going to change as it, as it has been. We've been tackling this for a decade at least. How do we change that role into, into what really fits now? So I think we're going to see a lot more of those early interactions. We're going to push that much farther into the buying process. A lot of that's going to be online or, or with, with online tools. But I do think that, that that sales rep is going to be more important than ever. Our role, though, it's always been important. But now the, the beauty of this and also the scary part is that the whole organization has seen this now. If it weren't for the product marketing people, we might not be around at this point. So I will tell you folks, in, in my humble perspective, this is your time. This is it. I, I mean, when you think about it, everybody realizes now that businesses can, can succeed with nobody in the field. Now, can they do that in a year? No. But they do realize the strategic importance of what the product marketing team does. And so it's time to step up and be strategic. It is time to hold on to that role with the changing role of, of the sales team, working with them better, aligning better with what the market wants and where you're trying to go as a company. I mean, this is a time. It is time to showcase product marketing and strategic assets. You know how to do it. So, so make sure you continue to do this. One of the things I've also read is, and, 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 and this is now, and I think this will shift back as well, but, but it was really interesting. Marketers now rate the ability to pivot as new priorities emerge as the highest ranked skill they're going to look for in future talent hires. Oh, yeah. I, obviously. So one of the things you're going to want to be prepared for if you're looking for a new job or, or back in the job you're in is you're going to want to start thinking about this and have answers ready. How did you pivot? What did you learn? What were your successes? You're going to want to think about that both if you're looking for new roles, but also 
How are you going to apply those skills on an ongoing basis? It would be a huge mistake for any of us to forget what we've learned during COVID. And, and remember that the vast majority of, of the, the things you're going to face going forward aren't going to be COVID. They're going to be interruptions in your own industry, in your own market segments. They're going to be slower shifts, more gradual changes. It's still listening now and it's still responding to those changes. It's just that we all got smacked on the head 14 months ago. <laughs> From now on, it might be just a little tap on the shoulder. So how are you gonna how are you gonna take those lessons and, and keep that keep that showcase going, keep that that functionality going? The good news is I, nobody can replicate this experience. <laughs> there's if, if there's a silver lining on a seriously dark, nasty cloud. You've got an experience now that has, has made you unique, has made you probably more powerful than you thought you were in, in terms of your ability to sustain and, and adapt. I hope, I hope everybody's come through it in that way because now you've got, you've got a skill and you've got an experience that, that chances are, and let's all fervently hope so, that nobody else in your lifetime is going to get. And, and I would rather we had not lived through this to gain that experience, but now that we have, uh, let's treasure the parts of it we can we can yep. salvage in that way and use them because it, it's an it's an opportunity for us now as product marketers to shine and to continue to shine. Uh, absolutely right. I mean, you, you, it, the situation you don't want, but the lesson you keep, uh, and and the well, one of the you know the the swords that kills us ourselves, right? One of the ways we kill ourselves is the the that's how we've always done it. Uh, and fear of, of either that holding on or even just the fear of what if I change and it breaks, like we had to change everything. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that can kind of help push us through and realize that you can shift a lot and it can go. And then also just the, the, to your point, the, the micro uh, views that the sort of micro touches to see how we're going helps mitigate risk, but it was so important in COVID because things were shifting so much. You really, realize you needed to be able to look in a smaller way to get feedback. But that same approach allows us to move things forward without the bad catalyst and be able to monitor and, and minimize risk that way. So take healthy risks in that way. It's, you know, it's exactly right. It's, it's because this was such a huge thing and, and, and we learned from it. We, we also think because it was so singular that, well, hopefully we'll never have to do this again. But, but those lessons are, are, very valuable in those microcosms. I mean, even little things like um, as you start to go forward, has everybody checked your your welcome email? Does it promote your mobile app? Does it promote mobile buying? Does your mobile app have functions that reflect new policies that you put in place? Has everything been tied together? I, I read a, a story about a, a woman. She said, you know, I, I bought my car from a car dealer and I get it serviced at the car dealer. But now they're, they're still sending me emails every 90 days that says, hey, it's time to get your oil change. Well, she said, I haven't pulled that car out of the garage. I've been right. a thousand miles for a year. And so she said, it's just those little kinds of things that now don't, don't let those learnings go away because they are going to be these smaller moments, these smaller events or more gradual. So Keep those learnings. It's not going to be COVID. It won't be global, but it will be local, regional, market-facing, personal. And, and you'll have the opportunity to use those skills, even with these small tweaks. So, yeah, it's 
unfortunately, we have a great skill now from a, an event we all would rather had never happened. That's right. That's right. All right, Diane, this is amazing. Anything else uh, just to kind of underscore with the audience before we leave them in terms of lessons learned and what the future looks like and how excited but, you, you know, are to see them for, in the for classroom? Product, for the product marketing team, yeah, just, just a couple things. I'm enthusiastic about product marketing. This role has never been more important. This is a time for you to shine, become even more strategic. So ABL, uh, to, to paraphrase uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn, Glenn Ross, always be listening. The more you listen now, the readier you'll be for those shifts. You, you know that now. Keep listening. Always be listening. Have a plan for the unplannable. You can't, you can't know what's going to happen, but be ready to act when it does. And, and keep these lessons with you and use them as you go forward. It's never been more important. And, and I'm excited. I, I think the future is going to obviously be different, but I think we've got a lot of promise for, for this role as we go forward. And I hope personally for everybody. That your families are healthy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Keep those around you, uh, whether you can do it in person or not. Because it's, it is, uh, I think that is a really good lesson. It's maybe the most important. Forget everything else, Diane. And I said, the most important lesson from this is how important people are. Uh, Absolutely. And how, Absolutely. how to enjoy it. Yep. All right. Thank you, Diane. This was fantastic. It was a pleasure. It's always so good to be with you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Everyone, that does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 